HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. These programs are sponsored by listeners like you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And if I say ramen noodles, instant noodles, dry noodles, noodles, unless you've been living under a rock, you know what I'm talking about. But did you know that Taiwan plays a major role in these noodles? It's all about a hundred-year-old Taiwanese noodle recipe. And with me today is Young Chang, CEO and founder of the Asia Noodle Company. Is it Noodle Company Asia uh, Young, or am I am I saying that right? Asia Noodles, right? Uh, it's actually Asha Foods, yeah. Oh, Asha. Okay, yeah. see, I'm saying Asia, like Asia. Asha Noodles. Okay, yeah. Asha. That's A hyphen S H A. Asha. Asha Noodles. Asha Noodles is a cult favorite brand known for its patented 100-year-old legacy noodle recipe from Tainan, Taiwan. These popular noodles are air-dried, which we'll find more about more from Young Cheng, and made with simple ingredients. Since Young, well, let me let me just ask you, Young, directly. Um, This company, you founded this company. I mean, the noodle is a hundred-year-old recipe, but you founded the company Asha in 2015, right? That's right. Well, where did but where did the recipe come from? Where did you get the recipe? Yeah, so the recipe is actually, um, you know, when you talk about different types of cuisines, I mean, the type of noodle that we do, this dry noodle, is kind of like spaghetti and meatballs. I mean, this is the most basic that you get when it comes down to Taiwanese cuisine. It's very simple, I mean, our ingredients is like, you know, flour, salt, water, and the sauce is even simpler, soy sauce, sesame oil. And that kind of mixture, you know, that that recipe has been around for hundreds of hundreds of years. And, um, you know, even today in 2022, that recipe still works. So we never changed it. And so mm-hmm. that's where that hundred year old recipe comes from. The the proportions and the way it's prepared is 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 where is where our differentiator is. Uh, so this fact you've got. 
a, a factory before the show, I was asking you where is, is everything located. Um, explain to us how you're, you know, where the factories are, where the offices are. You're in California and, and the, and the noodles are made in Taiwan. So discuss that with me a little bit. Yeah, sure. So the brand itself, Asha Foods, was actually started back in 1977. So the brand, it's a very legacy brand from Taiwan. It's always been known to be very high quality and you know affordable pricing. So Asha itself, the word in Taiwanese means um, prestigious. So it's a it's a symbol of prestige. And the, the whole idea from the original uh, creator of this noodle was. To create a very prestigious and exclusive noodle, um, but at affordable prices, so that everyone could eat it. So, for us, um, we kind of um, got into the business. We saw potential with this company, um, and actually, our group started slowly, um, you know, getting involved with the business back in 2009. And then in 2015, we decided to actually officially incorporate and you know bring this noodle to the worldwide stage. And uh, try to make it a global product versus just a very local Taiwanese product. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what I mean, so in your opinion, what really separates it from? I mean, there are a lot of other um, types of noodles on the market like this, and it is an instant noodle, right? And we're going to talk about the process that it's dried. Correct. Um, so, what separates it from all these other brands that are out there? Yeah, I think um, you know, for us, you know, me myself, uh, growing up in the states. I I know ramen noodle probably like a lot of the listeners, right? It's always um, kind of something like a survival food, a belly stuffer, something that we just eat to, you know, um, get by in terms of if we're in between meals, we want something quick, we want something cheap. Uh, ramen noodles is usually the go-to. Um, what we found with Asha, which was very interesting, was that it was actually very much like a homemade gourmet noodle. So when I first tasted it, um, when I first back, went back to Taiwan and tasted it, I was kind of blown away. I didn't know that there was such an instant noodle like this. It tasted something like, you know, like my grandma would make and something that was, you know, as I mentioned, f- you know, homemade, basically. So um, we feel that that is the major differentiator, that when you talk about a packaged food item, you know, it's usually always kind of off from the original thing. But I feel that Asha noodle is very close to the way it is prepared in restaurants or in homes. And, you know, the major differentiator, I think, between our product and what's, you know, kind of quote-unquote typical on the U.S. market is that our our noodles are air-dried. So the air-dried factor creates a whole other dynamic when it comes to noodle. So the majority of ramen noodles that we have in the States are all deep-fried. So they all have that same kind of taste and consistency. But when you do an air-dried process, it changes the texture and flavor of the noodle altogether. And of course, the other major differentiator is that our noodle is soupless. So uh, Asha dry noodle is the name. So, um, you know, not having that broth is um, is something that's quite different from other products on the market as well. Hmm, interesting. So it's really that mixture of the um, uh, shoyu or soy sauce and, and sesame oil that really gives it its unique flavor, right? I mean, that's- Correct. Yeah, identifiable flavor. That's right. That's the base. That's the usual um, base that every sauce um, from the Taiwanese cuisine is built from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, tell me a little bit about the um, about the Taiwanese cuisine and and the noodle culture in in Taiwan. 
And where does this, and to your knowledge, you know, a lot of it stem from? I mean, there's there's a lot, of course, the Chinese roots, and but then there, for many years, was the Japanese influence. Where, so what are we talking about here? A hundred years of noodles. What, where do you think the roots are in these in these noodles? I mean, that's hard to say globally, really. But sure, yeah. Uh, but you know, to your point, um, Taiwanese do originate from China. Um, mm-hmm. And also the occupation of Taiwan by the Japanese government was also, you know, very, very present for a lot of, for a lot of Taiwanese people. So Taiwanese cuisine is definitely influenced heavily uh, by those two cultures. Um, something that I've always found very interesting in talking to friends and other Epicureans and things like that, everyone agrees, for the most part, that Taiwanese food is delicious. It's amazing. It's great. But when we really come down to it and say, all right, what's that iconic food from Taiwan? Nobody can really say what it is. Hmm. Um, it's, kind of the, it's kind of a lost cuisine, which is it's great. It tastes good, but nobody can really pinpoint what it is. So for us, I mean, we really wanted to kind of be the symbol for Taiwanese cuisine. We wanted to be the representation coming from Taiwan to say, you know, this is typical Taiwanese food. This is something that you would get in Taiwan. Um, because if you go on to the Taiwanese food scene, I mean, you will get tons of Japanese um, sushi restaurants, teppanyaki, yakiniku, so many different types of things. And obviously, you'll get a ton of Chinese food as well. But you also get, um, you know, a lot of um, European influence as well. So I think Taiwan cuisine is is a real melting pot of different cultures and um, a lot of different, um, you know, throughout the history of Taiwan and, and what that country has been through. Um, it's heavily influenced in the food. It's interesting that you say that because um, there are, <clears throat> in fact, um, the, my engineer Kevin and I were talking before the show um, that time that there is a one of our hosts on Heritage Radio Network is um, I think she has a part partial Taiwanese background. She has written a lot about Taiwanese food, and there is there are a couple of cookbooks that have recently come out. It seems like some people are trying to um, rediscover, as you said, those flavors. What differentiates the Taiwanese flavors and cuisine from, you know, the rest of all of the Japanese and and China, particularly Chinese? People think, oh, it's just Chinese food, but but everyone says no. There's something something that distinguishes it from the rest of the pack, right? Yeah, totally. I think the, you know, the specific flavors and ingredients that are very prevalent in Taiwanese cuisine is those are the things that that, that really stand out. And hmm. I mean, Taiwan is a very prideful and proud country. And so it's, it's good to see this resurgence of, um, you know, more promotion of Taiwanese culture and, and uh, you know, um, and through the cuisine. All right. Well, now you say that the noodles are, are aired. What I've, I've read stories about some um, noodle companies in trying to recreate that springiness, if you will. Are these noodles springy at all? Or are they just regular noodles? Are they sometimes add a little baking soda to the, you know, to the mixture mm. or, or something. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that, um, that, that chew, that bite, that springiness that you're referring to, that's, I think that's something that everyone in the noodle industry sort of looks for, um, trying to, you know, create that and master that. Um, and I know that there are a lot of companies out there trying to create things like that and trying to go, you know, extra protein and do vitamin infused and all these <laughs> really innovative things um, using ramen noodle as a base. 
Um, for our noodles, our noodles are very springy. They are very chewy. And uh, But the way we do it is through our air drying process. Um, the, the, the air drying process itself takes 18 hours. So each hmm. block of noodle uh, that is consumed at some point has been you know, basically cured for 18 hours and processed for 18 hours. So, um, you know, using low temperature drying techniques, that's how we kind of retain that, you know, you try not to uh, mess around with the, um, you know, with the DNA of the noodle too much, because when you introduce heat, when you introduce oils in frying, that kind of changes, you know, the, you know, the base nature of, of the noodle. So when you do air drying at, especially at the low temperatures, you're trying to keep it, at that state when it was just freshly needed. So that's where I think we get a lot of that retention of that springiness, retention of the flavor. I mean, the noodle itself is very fragrant. So when you when you open it without even cooking, you smell it, you smell the freshness of the flour. And I think that's all through the technique that we use. And you know, that technique that we use is actually not changed in many, many hundreds of years because that's how you know air drying was done you know, back in the days, we only just brought it into a factory environment so that it's more sanitary and it's more controlled so that, you know, we can get all those uh, global certificates and be able to consistently make a, um, you know, consistent product. Well, they certainly took the market by storm, I'm, I'm sure, thanks in large part to you and your efforts. Uh, I mean, you were named by, uh, was it Inc. Magazine? as one of the top fastest growing private companies, um, as well as selected as one of the top 10 Taiwanese instant noodles of all time. So yeah, that, that's really, I mean, as I say, there's a lot of, lot of noodles out there in the market. So that's really saying something. Um, what, so in, you're saying that this industrialization really hasn't messed with the recipe at all. But obviously, you've got mechanical means of, of helping the air drying. Obviously, I'm sure fans or something, right? I mean, yep. Yeah, you know, controlled air environment. That, so that hasn't really changed the noodle. I mean, it's, we're talking about flour and water and what else? Yeah, there's not much. I mean, salt in terms of the noodle, that's basically it. So, you know, traditionally speaking, Tainan is in the middle southern part of Taiwan, Taiwan's like kind of a bean shape. Um, there's the capital to the north and another big city, port city called Kaohsiung in the south. Tainan's a little bit north of Kaohsiung. So that area in Taiwan is known to have amazing sunshine. So it's like an area that never rains and there's always a really strong um, sun presence. So a lot of food, a lot of, especially a lot of noodles were made in Tainan, that area. So um, back in the days, you know, People used to make the noodle and then drag it out under the sun and air, you know, air dry it under the sunlight, right? Uh -huh. and so um, that's the romantic version of you know <laughs> the Taiwanese uh, dry noodle. But the reality is, there's dust, there's bugs, there's all sorts of things that you know the FDA and you know um, other regulatory bodies would you know would 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 frown upon. So we had to bring that environment indoors. And you know, as I mentioned, when we decided to kind of you know operationalize Asha Foods and make it into a global brand, we knew that we had to get up to global standards as well. I mean, when you talk about exporting to the US, to Canada, to Europe, to Australia, 
there's all different regulations and different types of standards that need to be met. So that was the first challenge for us to take this very, very traditional local Taiwanese company and basically prove to folks that, you know, we are ready for prime time. We're ready to export. We have the standards, the processes and all that stuff. So so, so that was really, um, you know, our challenge and in, in, in the mission that we sought out to do um, back around, um, you know, 2011-ish, around that time. That's when we kind of decided that we wanted to go in this direction. Yeah. You know, I was doing a little background reading before our, um, our interview, and I noticed that it was really not that long ago, I mean, in, in terms of, of, you know, in business and exporting, that um, an export processing zone was even established in Taiwan. I think mm-hmm. it was like in the 19, late 1960s. So obviously um, this noodle jumped right on the bandwagon and, and got out there. I mean, or not, well, you did, when did it start being exported? When, when uh, Asha started, when it took over in like 77 or? Yeah. So prior to, to prior to us getting involved, um, the, the product was never exported. It was always sold locally in Taiwan. It was, again, very popular, wildly popular in Taiwan, but it never left Taiwan. It was always there. So um, for us, we started bringing, we started exporting, just testing the waters in 2011 to see what was going on because I was based in the U.S. My partner is um, based in Taiwan. So he kind of, you know, got involved with the noodle company and was like, hey, I've got something here. I think we can do something with it in the States. So we kind of tested the waters and, you know, it just kept growing and growing, um, having just started online and on Amazon um, till today. I mean, back in 2015, we landed our first major account that was with Safeway, Safeway Albertsons. And um, that one was the one that that really showed us that, OK, we have a viable um not only a viable product, a delicious product, but we have a viable business here. So that's when we decided in 2015 to just officially incorporate it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to take a really brief break, and when we come back, I want to talk about some of the uh, some of the other uh, products that were, are, would be um, akin to this. So stay tuned. I'm Chaba Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow The One Recipe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, we're back, and I'm talking with Young Chang, and he is the CEO of and founder of uh, Asha Noodles USA. And uh, when I, uh, Young, we were talking about the noodle, and you said when you opened the package, there was something very aromatic. Well, and you're saying the flour. The this noodle is these noodles are all made in Taiwan in the factory. What kind of flour is it? And what is there something special about the flour that, that you feel you know, lends its identifiable fragrance to? Yeah. So, I mean, in very similar to everything else, I mean, it's all about the details, right? So, the, mm -hmm. you know, anyone can make noodles using flour, water, salt, but what proportions do you use? And of course, the quality of the flour that you use. So, in the flour industry, we use what's called like a finely sifted flour. So it's like 99.99% um, sifted. So it's a really, really fine, fine, refined um, uh, type of flour. So when you look at it, the color is very white. It's very ivory color. Um, there's no impurities in it. It's just pure flour. And the flour, the type of flour that we actually use uh, funny enough, is actually a non-GMO flour from Oregon. So mm -hmm. the, the, the the product is kind of, uh, you know, the raw ingredients come from the U.S. We bring it back to Taiwan, process it, and then bring it right back. <laughs> bring it right back again. So, <laughs> That's right. Sort of, I think that kind of happens with soy sauce, as a matter of fact. Soybeans are grown in America and shipped, and shipped over. And, yeah. right? <laughs> That's right. Get it where you can, right? So exactly. it really is a global product in all senses. You think yep. it. so, but it's a, a, so it's a total non-GMO wheat flour, all right? And but finally, unlike a lot of um, noodles, like I'm thinking pastas, Italian pastas, which are you know a, a hard durum, you know wheat. This yeah. is you're talking about a, a very white, finely sifted flour. Yeah, I mean, and you know, there's different there's different levels and different grades of flour as as well. So we you know we 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 choose to use a very expensive one, and it's not the easiest way to do it. But I think those little things really make the difference um, in mm -hmm. our final product. And where that's well, that's the other thing. I mean, these instant noodle packets, these blocks, as you refer to them, the blocks of the noodles, that they're so convenient. I mean, they're so you know they're always there. You can always have them there in your in your pantry. Um, and many college kids said that if it weren't for the ramen, instant ramen noodles, they wouldn't have uh, survived in school, right? Mm -hmm. They can they can make their own dinners. Um, how do you how do you keep the price if you have the special wheat and you import the wheat and and um, you know the time that it takes how can you match the price point of a lot of these other instant noodle companies? Yeah, it's um, it's it's a constant challenge. I mean, especially nowadays with all the um, you know macroeconomical issues that are going on and the global mm -hmm. logistics problems and sourcing. So. It's a constant challenge. Um, we're obviously trying to balance that um, and trying to do the best we can. But, you know, our product always is um, typically on the shelves is always, um, you know, more skewed towards the higher end in terms of pricing. And, 
you know, it's, 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 all, it's all relative, right? It's still not super expensive. I think a five pack is, you know, generally speaking, it's $7.99 to $8.99, which is not a lot. But when you look at the, at the very small world of the noodle world, um, it is one of the higher priced. And, you know, part of that is reflective of the quality of the ingredients. So we're hoping that consumers will continue to see that there is value in, you know, premium products and using premium ingredients and, you know, the proof is in the final product. So when, sure. uh, you know, when the final thing is cooked and when you sit down at the dinner table and people eat it, doesn't matter, um, you know, what age, race or ethnicity, if everyone generally agrees that it tastes good, then we've done our job. Yeah. Well, you speak about age and it certainly is testament to, uh, you know, the younger generation being like yourself, even being, you know, in control of, of this product and, and marketing and all is that you have uh, risen in popularity with some uh, very notable collaborations. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, you know, we, we, you know, in, in many businesses, everyone always analyzes who's your target audience. And for us, you know, part of what is very key to our business is this whole notion of sustainability. So, what that means, it means a lot of different things to us. I mean, our, our products are all vegan, so they're using sustainable ingredients. At the same time, we're trying to create, you know, food to fuel our future. And what we mean by that is we want to make products that can be eaten every day. It's not something where you have to think and say, well, maybe I shouldn't eat this because, you know, the long, you know, long-term effects or whatever, there may be something that's not good for me. You know, we wanted to make something where people could just feel like, you know, I can eat this. When I need to eat this, you know, I don't mind eating it. And even for ourselves, we eat our product all the time. We feed it to our families and we also feed it to our kids. So for us, you know, having quick, I mean, everyone's looking for quick um, meal solutions and meal kits. And most times a lot of people are feeding the full, you know, feeding the whole family. So you've got to, you know, the, the, the worst feeling is when you sit down, prepare a meal and your kids won't eat it. And so you're kind of stuck there not knowing what to do because that's an important thing for a lot of parents that, you know, one of the major goals of the day is to make sure our kids get their food and, you know, that, you know, that they finish it. So for us, you know, we, we have kind of moved into the kids space and really trying to promote our product for kids. Um, you know, a lot of the collaborations, as you mentioned, that we do are there, there, there's so many collaborations that we've done. We've done the Hello Kitty um, Sanrio collaboration, uh, we did the collaboration with um, BTS. Uh, sorry, not BTS. Um, BT Twenty One, who's it's a it's a it's a created by um, created by BTS. But these are all products that you know. For us, we want to tap into different markets. We want to have some crossover effect into different groups of people. So, you know, obviously the you know the Hello Kitty thing is 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 a is a kind of cutesy thing. It plays into a lot of different generations, but definitely for kids, you know, they definitely do resonate to it. So. Um, when Sanrio came to us with this proposal to do this noodle, we were we were all for it because um, at the you know at the end of the day we were we we're proud of our product and we weren't we weren't um, feeling like it's not something that we wouldn't feed our own children right so mm-hmm. so those collaborations I mean we also have a collaboration with um, Momofuku which I'm sure many of your listeners know that David Chang the founder of Momofuku is kind of like the you know he's kind of like the godfather of ramen noodles in the U S so. For that, that was proof for our product that, you know, we're saying that we're best in class, we're restaurant quality, but now we have a collaboration partner in David Chang and Momofuku 
who's actually backing us up on that statement and saying, yes, I agree, I vouch for these guys that they are the best in class. So all of our collaborations have certain meanings and certain um, purposes. Um, they're all they're, they're they're not random, and they all they all kind of serve a serve a purpose for the for the overall bigger picture. Yeah, I would imagine they're not random, but I have to tell you, the Hello Kitty threw me because um, I was in my local Asian market, and um, and all of a sudden I was looking for some instant noodles. I guess maybe I was in thinking about preparing for the show. I was looking for you know your brand of noodles, and and all of a sudden I saw this. I think it was a three pack or what did you say? Whatever you know, seven pack. And there was, it was all Hello Kitty. I said, no, this has got to be, this has got to be something else. What is in here? You know, is there, you know, can they put candy for the kids in? What is in it? And it was just noodles. It was, but, yeah. the, but that identifiable Hello Kitty, you know, logo and all the, you know, the cartoonish kind of colorful packaging that really, it caught my eye. Definitely caught my eye. Yeah. Not, you know, it was a smart thing. No, no question about that. Yeah. I mean, that collab came about um, from the 2020 Olympic Games that was in uh, Tokyo, right? Uh-huh. So they wanted to have something representative of J- Japanese culture. Um, so, you know, who else but Hello Kitty, like one of the most iconic, um, you know, characters to come out of Japan. And then, of course, ramen noodles, which is, you know, um, many view Japanese culture as the creators of instant ramen noodles. So, it was like a perfect storm, and we definitely wanted to be part of that project. Interesting. Um, what what other uses? This, I mean, tell me. I'm just trying to understand how prevalent noodles are in Taiwanese cuisine. Um, obviously, from your viewpoint, <laughs> very. But um, it, it, do noodles play a very large? role in Taiwanese cuisine, to your knowledge? Yeah, absolutely. I think for Asian culture, and especially in Southeast Asian culture, like you really start to see that, you know, for in general, I feel like for for folks to really have a meal, it's always like, you know, carbohydrate, some sort of sauce in a protein. And Mm -hmm. a lot of different cultures use different things as their carbohydrate or their base. You know, some folks use starch, right, like potatoes or rice or bread. In Asian culture, like the go-to is usually rice or noodles. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the that's kind of the base by which um, you know where that where that filling piece comes into play. So noodles are a very important part of Asian cuisine and Asian culture, and I think it's starting to make more inroads in you know the American. Uh, American, uh, uh, you know, uh, food selection as well. I mean, obviously, pasta has always been around. So the noodle concept is not something that's new. It's just the type of noodle I think is is different. Yeah, um, what something was that always questioned that I was uh, questioned is what really makes the noodle I mean, instant? How do we call it instant noodle? I mean, there are all kinds of noodles: thin noodles, thick noodles. Even in your um, production. But how does it become instant noodle? I mean, it really cooks up in, you know, in, in just a, you add hot water, boiling water, it ends up, cooks up in a, you know, in, in less than a minute or a minute or so. Right. Yeah. How does that come about? Yeah. I think there's different, you know, there's different methods to kind of preserve the noodle because the noodle, when it comes out raw, like when you've just mixed it, it does need to be preserved so that it can, you know, be shelf stable and all that good stuff. So a lot of noodles are fried and that frying process will preserve the noodle. 
In our case, we air dry the noodle. Um, and then there's another step by which we can actually steam the noodle first and then air dry it. And then it, that also changes, you know, the, um, the makeup of the noodle. And then all that means is that, you know, when you, when the consumer gets it out of the package, how do they prep it and how they prepare? So the concept of instant, it can mean, you know, different things to a lot of different people. Um, sometimes instant might mean just, you know, steeping it in hot water, right? So that's the traditional cup noodle where you just pour hot water in there, cover it, leave it for three minutes and come back and it's ready to eat. Um, instant means maybe microwaving something for two to three minutes. Um, and then instant also can mean, you know, just throwing it in a pot of hot water, cooking it for three minutes and then, and then it's, and then it's ready to eat as well. So I think that concept of instant means different uh, different things to a lot of different people. Mm. Um, but the bottom line is convenience. Whatever the customer finds is their point of convenience. I think that's where, um, you know, us and also new other noodle manufacturers are trying to achieve that in the, in the mind of the consumer, you know, what is instant to them, right? And what's quality to them? Certainly. Why for you is it so important that you keep this particular recipe, this, this legacy of this recipe alive? I mean, for us, I think because it works, it, it's just, it's just by far the best one. I mean, we have different regulations. Like when we go to Canada, for example, we need to use different types of flour. They have different regulations. Um, they have, you know, different, uh, nutritional requirements basically. So we need to use like an enriched flour, um, and then also, as we now look at non-GMO and organic, now you're starting to introduce different types of flour and, you know, but we've consistently seen that, you know, coming back to the base recipe and the base flour that we use is always the one that, um, that people like the most. And I think um, even you mentioned um, earlier that there was um, other noodles that, that add other things like um, alkaline into the noodles to make it more chewy and things like that. We've we've tried and tested all those methods, and I think you know, just listing out the pros and cons. The original recipe that we have is still the one that's tried and true, and that's the one that in you know generally people still still says tastes the best. So it's like that old thing, you know, just keep it simple, and you know, don't mess with something that works. Mm -hmm. Well, there are you make. I, I mean, you tell me. I basically three different sizes of noodles and that's in the style of different um cultures we have the hakka noodle the mandarin noodle and the and the tainan noodle that's right so we have those base noodles um but nowadays so the you know the tainan mandarin and hakka essentially is basically to make it very simple it's like the thin medium and the thick noodle mm. but you know the ramen noodle industry hasn't really changed that much in the last 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Everything's pretty much the same. So for companies like us, we're looking at ways to try to innovate the industry. And that includes the, you know, the noodle type. So we've released a new noodle called the knife cut noodle. So traditionally speaking, when you eat noodles on the street, a lot of times those noodles are, they're made by a, a you know, a physical blade cutting through a block of flour and creating those strands. So that's something very quintessential to Asian noodles, which is the knife cut noodle. So we've, we've, you know, we've packaged that and, and, you know, released that product. So when you cook that up, it looks very ribbony. It's got like, 
It's very like curly noodle. It's squiggly noodles. So it's a very different noodle um, shape and texture. And, um, you know, we're doing these things to cr- kind of try to change the industry, to get people thinking about, you know, how are, what are the different ways you can innovate? I mean, obviously sauce, you can innovate new and different types of flavors and things like that. But the base noodle is one of the most difficult things to innovate because there's only so many ways you can cut that block of flour to make That's it different, right? Yeah. right? Well, you can so, stretch, well, you, there's all kinds of stretching. Some people stretch the noodles, you know, there's all yeah. All those different things, but that's you know that's you're talking more hands-on and real handmade. Yeah, yeah, because it's a fine balance between um, you know trying to change things too much and then trying to keep it um, you know true to the core of what it is, which is just a dry noodle. So we have another noodle coming out called the Meteor Noodle, and that's basically two knife blades instead of one. So that creates kind of like a 3D shape in the noodle. So there's all these little things that we're trying to do to kind of, you know, push the envelope on the noodle, on the Asian noodle world. <laughs> you say, but at the end of the day, it's just a noodle, but just a noodle. <laughs> you don't really mean that. <laughs> it's right. not just a noodle, right? And noodle, and it's true, noodle is is the base of so, well, of, of many different national cuisines. And, and it's it really is so often all about the noodle. I don't care what you do to it, right? Yeah. It's about the noodle. If it's not a good noodle, it's not good. Yep. Right. Well, it's a it's an interesting story, and and the fact that it's you know this that this hundred year old recipe. Not that many other recipes vary too much from your hundred. What makes that hundred year old recipe different? The fact that it's air dried. I mean, I, I keep trying to wrap my mind around. Well, what makes this noodle recipe different than another noodle recipe? Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly speaking, I think there's probably a lot of your listeners that say, I can make this noodle as well, which is very true. The way we do it, um, and we have so much proprietary, um, you know, IP like patents and trademarks around our product because it's all these little details, right? So the blend that we use, the type of flour that we use is actually proprietary. So that factory that makes that flour for us only makes it for us. Um, and then the proportions of water that we use, the, the amount of salt that we use, the temperature that we air dry, even down to um, the racks. So what we do is we cut the noodle into blocks and we push them into the drying chambers in racks. Even those racks are patented, like the physical plastic wraps uh, mm. racks that they're in. So there's all these little tips and tricks that we do that is very hard for um, it, it's very hard to be replicated. And I think quite frankly, a lot of people wouldn't want to because it's like, it's probably not the most efficient way to do things, but it is what we feel the most efficient way to achieve the quality that we want. So for example, our factory in Taiwan is wide open. We welcome any and all visitors to come to our factory, take a look, view everything, look at our machines, look at everything. Because for us, um, Transparency is also very, very key, very core to our company, which is we really have nothing to hide. And, you know, we're not doing anything magical here, but we're just doing something that a lot of people may know, but we're doing it our way. And we're happy to share because there's so many little nuances that it's, 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 it's nearly impossible to replicate the way we do it. And we've tried. We have tried to get more efficient and try to do things even better. We're constantly trying to improve. But um 
certain little things, you know, those those little things cannot be shortcutted and you know, they have to stay the way they are so that we can continue to achieve the level of product that we want. Well, I like that. So the bottom line is you're saying, we have a lot of trade secrets and I'm not going to tell you, but that's okay. <laughs> that's a, that's a good thing. I like that because it's, you got to be different, right? It's got to, and there's got to be a reason. And I mean, yeah. you're making it all by machine now too, which is, you know, that's to, to try to, to keep that, that integrity of, of that old product. And yet it's all industrialized. That's, that's really saying something. So, yeah. so I, I, I applaud you. I think it's a, of um, a nice project to keep something like that alive and, and stand out from the, the rest of the group. And mm-hmm. So thank you so much for telling me, even though you didn't really tell me, <laughs> no, <laughs> you did, you did, you shared a lot. And, and I just want to, uh, to remind my listeners that I'm speaking with Young Chang, the CEO and founder of Asha Noodles USA, right? Yep. And um, it, it's an interesting story, this 100-year-old noodle recipe. It makes me also want to find out a lot more about Taiwanese cuisine. Uh, so I think that that will be my, my next venture. Right. Yeah, that's that's the hope, right? That there's a there's a taste of Taiwanese cuisine and that inspires inspires people to want to explore more and say, wow, this was really good from Taiwan. What else is there to offer? That's right. That's right. Well, thanks for sharing. I, I, I really do appreciate your time and, and sharing your story with us. And thanks to you, my listeners, for tuning in and listening. I just want to remind you that A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. And please visit heritageradionetwork.org to find out all about the different food shows that are podcasts on that network, as well as my more than 350 episodes. You can access any one of them anytime you want. And hope you'll listen in again. Bye-bye.